In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, and we're in uh, Luke chapter 16. We see Jesus uh, here talking to the disciples and uh, giving us a parable that should be shocking. On the surface, we should say, uh, this is a, a cheat, a thief. Why would he be held up as an example for us in Christian living? And so uh, we're going to have to look a little bit deeper and we're going to have to consider the relationship of uh, people to money and to wealth and uh, to God and our understanding of who we are and what it is that we owe to him. <clears throat> so the first place that we go to think about this, to think about uh, our relationship to money is to the prophets, and the prophets have lots to say about this, especially here uh, in Amos. Amos is one of the earliest of the prophets. He uh, probably in his young life knew Elisha, and in his old age knew Isaiah. He's probably the first recorded prophet, the first that we have his entire book written down. And he's speaking at a time to the northern kingdom of Israel. You'll remember that after Solomon, there's a civil war, a division of the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom uh, and that becomes Samaria, taken over by the Assyrians. And then there's the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem. Amos is speaking to that northern kingdom that uh, becomes Samaria because they become incredibly wealthy. The trade routes between uh, the Assyrian uh, Empire and Egypt become increasingly productive. And the northern kingdom becomes very wealthy due to these trade routes. So much so that they begin to be overcome with the accumulation of possessions and wealth. And this is a, a testament to us all or a lesson to us all because very few of us set out saying, I'm going to serve money. I'm going to uh, devote my life to the accumulation of wealth and to power. Some people do that. But most of us kind of find our way falling into it step by step. And it requires us to be awakened uh, from that stupor that we fall into. So Amos warns the people about this worship of money. Again, money itself holds uh, no intrinsic value, good or evil. It's the love of money that is concerning. Money is like a brick. If you have a brick, you can put it through a windshield or you can build a hospital with it. It's what we do with it and how it is that we organize ourselves around it. Here you can see that for the nation of Israel, they become overwhelmed so much so that when they're at worship, when they're worshiping the Lord, their thoughts are not with the Lord. Their thoughts are with the accumulation of wealth. And this is where the Lord's concern is. His concern is with the condition of the heart. So he says that while the nation of Israel is at the new moon feasts and at the Sabbaths, these are the historic worship days of the nation of Israel. When they're at the Sabbaths and these feasts and fasts, they're planning, rather than focusing upon God and His justice and His righteousness, they're planning the accumulation of wealth by cheating, by using false measures, and by putting others into debt. And debt throughout the scriptures is a bad thing. The debtor is slave to the lender. And debt puts us into all kinds of troubles. Whether we're in debt to somebody else and we become the slave, or we decide to become master to another and put them into indebtedness. <clears throat> it's a dangerous trap. And so the nation of Israel has fallen into this trap of indebtedness and they've fallen into this trap of, of accumulating wealth and power for themselves. And the antidote 
The medicine is God himself. Unlike you or I who might come up with some steep consequences or some punishment, God says, I'm going to cure you of this greed by sending myself, my son, the Messiah. And that's who Amos is pointing towards. He's pointing towards the Messiah as the one who brings medicine and healing. He says, the, by the pride of Jacob, right? Jesus is descended of Jacob. By the pride of Jacob, the land will tremble and I will make the sun go down at noon. That's Amos chapter 8, verse 9. I will make the sun go down at noon. So we read about an earthquake and a solar eclipse. When we read about an earthquake and a solar eclipse happening at the same time, our minds should immediately go to Good Friday, to Jesus upon the cross. At noon, the sun is eclipsed, and there's an earthquake that trembles and shakes the temple and the houses of Jerusalem. This is the evidence by which God uses to tell the people, I have broken your bonds of slavery. I've broken the grip of death, the grip of debt. I've paid the full price. And you are now free to live godly and righteous lives. We see that if the people do not respond to the sacrifice that God gives, they will find themselves in another time of famine. And famine we read about from Genesis to Revelation is a time when the people, because of their unrighteousness, because of their greed, are going to have what they had taken away from them for a time before it's given back. But this famine isn't a famine of grain or rain. It's a famine of the Word of God. Amos 8 12 says, They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So what does that mean? Does that mean that they can't find their Bibles? It means that they read them and don't understand what they mean. <clears throat> and this is why we come to Jesus uh, telling us this parable of what in the King James uh, we call the, the unjust steward, right? A steward is a, is a manager, uh, as it said in our translation. And this manager is praised for a couple of reasons. We're supposed to be shocked that this man committing fraud is held up as an example, and we're shocked so that we can look closely at what it is that he does that Jesus considers so important. The first thing is the manager is uh, put on notice that he's going to lose his position because he's bad at it. He's been supposed to be managing uh, the, the, the owner's money and his property, and he's been a poor manager of it. Immediately, we should be thinking about ourselves. Because when we came into this world, what did we have? Nothing. Every single one of us came into the world naked and crying. Right? Everything that we have has been given to us by God. And so when we mismanage the things of God, when we mismanage our time, our talent, our treasures... All that the Lord has given to us, we will be called to account for it. This manager thinks to himself, what will I do without the things that I've been given? So he reflects. He does some self-reflection. He says, let me think about what I'm going to do. And he says, I'm too lazy to work. This is very important because the manager does a, an honest self-examination and he realizes 
that he does not have what it takes in order to provide for himself. He's going to have to receive something from another. And this is what's essential for us. When we examine our hearts and minds and we go to the confession, to the Nicene Creed this morning, we are going to be doing an examination of ourselves and we're going to have to come to the realization that we don't have enough righteousness and holiness in ourselves. We're going to need God to provide that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to have enough. And this is the first thing that the manager realizes. I'm not enough. I'm going to need friends. Then the second thing he does is he says, I'm going to need friends at a time future. So he projects himself into a time future and he says, what am I going to do when I'm um, going to be in need in the future? And we all are supposed to have a time of reflection and projection to think, what are we going to do when it's time for us to answer for our accounts? We read about a <clears throat> personal judgment. That is when we die. We're going to be face to face to the Lord and the Lord is going to have an accounting. Why do we think that? Because Jesus talks about that over and over again in the parables, right? The gifts of the talents and here in the unjust steward and the virgins with their lamps. He's going to come to us and say, Howard, I gave you this many children and I gave you a wife and I gave you a church and I gave you money and I gave you time and I gave you a talent. What did you do with it? And so that could happen right now to all of us, right? We could be called to account right now. We could all die here in this place. We could die on our way homes this morning. We have no guarantees for tomorrow. We're all going to have to give an account for what we've been given. And so we have to know that, we have to know that our focus, our hope, is on the resurrection and on the gifts of God, that He has given us everything. And then the manager practices this, this second thing, this, this forward thinking, which Jesus calls shrewdness. Shrewdness means he puts together an honest self-examination. He puts together the promise of having to hold account. And he forms a plan. He makes a plan. So we look at our lives and we say, God gave us everything. I'm going to have to give account for what I've been given. I need a plan to take all the things that God has given me and to manage them in the right way so that when I come face to face, I can say, this is what I did with the time, talent, and treasure that you gave me. And so it's not only money, but it is money. Because we've been given these material possessions for the service of the poor, for the advancement of the kingdom of God, for the care of our families and our communities. We've been given time, which is that we've been given... Um, this, this life, we've been given opportunities. We're going to be given opportunities in, in a moment when we leave this church. And we've been given talents. We've been given abilities. We've been given uh, ways to think and ways to feel. We've been given um, uh, things that we can do for others and that we can use in the service of God. And that all takes an organizing of our hearts and our minds. And this is what St. Paul reminds us of in 1 Timothy, that we have to organize our minds to recognize that every gift that's been given us by God has been given freely. And so we have to pray for all people that they too would be given freely. <clears throat> so the first thing he notes is that we need to pray for kings and for all those that do not know the Lord Jesus. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose. 
We don't get to say, oh, I don't like that leader. He's cruel, or he's a dictator, or he's uh, not right. We don't get to choose. We have to pray for those in authority. We don't get to say, I don't like this group of people, or I don't like the way that they act. We are supposed to pray for all people. We're supposed to be praying for all people. And so now we start to orient our hearts and our minds to recognize everything that I have has been given to me freely by God. Because He's given me freely, I too need to give freely, not just of my talents and treasures, but of my time and prayer and in focus and in organizing myself according to the kingdom of God. And I need to have a heart to concern for all those that the Lord would bring to Himself. And then there is our very bodies. Our bodies are supposed to be in service of God. And St. Paul speaks clearly to men and women and says, you were created male and female, and there are ways to behave as men, and there are ways to behave as women. And in the last, I don't know, 120 years, we've seen quite a change in that. We've seen quite a change in the world would say there's no difference between men and women. And more and more people now are saying, I don't know the difference between men and women. But this isn't a new problem. Consider the fact that St. Paul is writing about this in about 50 AD. What was going on in the church then that led him to have to say, this is how women are supposed to behave in the church and how they're supposed to act. So this isn't a new problem that we have today, but it is a lie of the world to say that there is no difference. We know that God created us male and female and that we are supposed to organize our lives and we are supposed to orient ourselves towards that right action as men and women. And he highlights childbirth. Childbirth is essential, essential for the plan of God. He says, go forward and multiply. We are given the commandment to have children. We're given the instruction to have children. And it seems that the richer we get, the fewer children we want to have. And this is not just a call to those women who are of childbearing age who are able to have children because many are not of childbearing age or unable for various reasons to have children. But we all need to be about the business of childbirth. Childbirth is the most radical act of selfless giving. The most courageous thing that could be done because it is truly risking one's life. Childbirth still today is a dangerous proposition. Risking one's life and giving up all time as parents of new babies know, all plans to the service of that child. And if the women in our community, in our church, are going to be able to raise their children. They cannot do it alone. It requires husbands. It requires fathers. It requires brothers. It requires sisters. That is, it's the business of the whole church to support those women who are giving birth and to raise those children. It is a, a community task to be able to support this incredible act of selfless life-giving. Childhaven, the county's uh, orphanage, is full. There's children there. There's children there who do not have a home. 
There are children in our community who are living without parents, who are living without role models, who are living without safety and protection. They need to be first and foremost in our hearts and minds. And we need to have a plan for action as the church. The prophet Amos reminds us that it is the Messiah who heals. He is the one who gives us hope. He is the one that gives us the Holy Spirit. He is the one that gives us the, the plan for our lives, the purpose, and the meaning. So that we can organize all of our talent, and all of our time, and all of our treasure towards the resurrection of the dead, and the hope of the life to come. And if we are properly oriented towards that goal, we will leave this church today with all of the grace and mercy and strength that we need to serve those who are in need of our love and of our prayer.